Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. The Poker Zoo. That feels really powerful. Thank you for tuning in to the Poker Zoo. You can find us at persuadio.nl or simply do a search for Poker Zoo. We should pop up there, number one. Thank you guys for your support. And a special thank you to Forever Ellie, who left us a very kind, uh, some very kind words and a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, this week's interview is with a returning guest, and when I heard of this, I was somewhat frightened. You might want to look away, kind of like a series of unfortunate events. I've been uh, watching his play on his YouTube channel, and it is indeed frightening, so listen at your own peril. Well, welcome back to the Poker Zoo. This week, we have our first returning guest. I'm very pleased to have Jason Burge back. He was our member on Interview 6. And as you may recall, one of the points of this podcast is to keep track of people. And in fact, we'll be doing a round of checking in on those that we interviewed earlier. So how are you doing, Jason? I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you passed the test the first time. You, you seemed <laughs> relatively normal. And, I didn't shut the podcast down or anything. No, no, no one, no one's done that yet. But we're we're looking for that right person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Watching Poker After Dark last night, I'm I, I'm thinking there's someone who could. But, uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't luckily, wanna... I didn't watch, but I heard it was kind of <laughs> not good. <laughs> Well, it's just amazing watching these shows. Um, first of all, no one understands like the entire dynamic, so they all, it always looks a bit funny. But right. you know, to watch the, the you know the few serious players there, sort of trying to put up with this man child whose money they want, you know, it's you know it's kind of a weird way to babysit yourself if you're like kind of whale like that guy is. I mean, like right. I know a way to get someone to put up with me is to and pay them a thousand dollars while also having fun, while keeping them in line so that they can't say, "Ah, a poker." That's what I'll do. <laughs> uh, makes a lot of sense. It's, it's actually pretty smart. Right. So, what have you been up to? That's and I, I mean I, that's a leading question. I know a few things, but. What's the most interesting poker thing you've been up to recently? The most interesting poker thing? I'm always up to so much, it's hard to narrow down what I'm up to as the most interesting. As I've told you, I, I fill up notebooks with just random thoughts and things like that around parts of the game. So I'm always you know, writing in this thing all the time. It's like a diary or something. But I think as far as... Um, around what I've been focusing on the most, I became very interested in decision-making in poker and mm. what goes into a decision and you know what you should be thinking about at the table and all this sort of stuff. And I don't know if I've made any, any serious progress on this, but it captured my attention for, for a while. And I've bought some books and been reading those, trying to figure out you know, how people make decisions, what's important, um, this kind of stuff. And I don't know where I'm at with it, to be honest. I've got pages of notes and, and I, I like to think that whatever I'm reading and working on has actually helped me in the game somewhat, but it's kind of hard to tell. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the best way to measure what you're doing is, of course, just purely by results. So <laughs> Sure. And those, those have been fine. <laughs> you're right. I, but, that's but, where I'm going with <laughs> So in that department, it's fine, but 
but that's funny because one of the things I've been focusing in, on is, uh, you know, trying to disconnect myself from the results. So just trying to judge my decisions based oh. on the information at hand at the time and not and not on the actual result. So, you know, if I make a call on the end and I happen to win, I'm not automatically saying, oh, that was a good call. I actually think about it and say like, oh, you know, that was actually a bad call. I just got lucky to win the hand. So I've been trying to go down that path a little bit, which is very good for the mental game anyways, because you can just lie to yourself and say, oh, you know, I called and lost and I can, you know, work out on some paper and say, no, yeah, that was actually a good call, but I just lost. So, well, you know, winners win, buddy. I don't, don't, right, don't yeah. take it so easy on yourself. <laughs> um, you know, you are a tinkerer and a serious student of the game. You, you spend a lot of time thinking about it. And yes, one of the things for a while that was your passion was, Hey, I don't have enough time to do all the thinking <laughs> that I need. Yeah. You've been talking to me, we've been studying all this stuff, and like, I need at least a four-minute time bank on every hand. Right. So, like, tell us about that. What have you done with that? And, uh, you know, there was, yeah, you mentioned a book. What, what are you doing about your decision-making, and why are you winning more, uh, like, these days? I mean, not that you didn't win before, but you've been, you know, you've been posting some good results. Yeah. I should say that I'm actually a, a very fast player, but... I become overwhelmed if I think about what what kind of things I need to think about during a decision in poker because there's so much information coming at you it's hard to know what's going to give me the most bang for my buck in this, you know, 10 to 30 second window. You know, unfortunately I'm not playing on the main event final table so I don't get to take 7 minutes for every decision and I'm <laughs> so oh, man. let's go let, let let's go there later but not quite yet oh we can we can go there i'm still furious about that for some reason but, <laughs> who isn't oh i know oh yeah so i need to say I'm, I'm actually a very fast player i'm just not sure what i should actually be thinking about and as i've read like there was a book that greg porter mentioned to me and it's called street lights and shadows and the author he kind of goes through and he interviews some People that make decisions like under, um, I don't know, time crunches or emergency situations like military people or a firefighter. And he asks them like, all right, well, when you're walking up to a burning building, you know, do you have a checklist that you go through to figure out what to do? And all of these guys just say, well, no, I just know what to do. So that helped me a lot because, you know, in the TBR form, I was trying to think of is there a checklist that I could put together where I could figure out, you know, what's the important thing to focus on here? And I, I couldn't narrow it down. There's just too much information available to me. So I think where I land at now on this is I just say like, look, I'm just going to go play. And during a decision, something will come into my mind. My mind will take care of this for me. Something will come up that will require my attention and I can just think of that thing. So, you know, it might come up and, like the other day I played a hand and the thing that came into my head, it had nothing to do with ranges or pot size or anything like that. I just, the, the guy's action, just the way he was moving and kind of controlling himself caught my attention. So I was trying to figure out like, all right, well, what does this mean in terms of uh, what I should do here? So, so I'm, I'm thinking that I just need to rely on my experience and let the study and things I do off the table kind of help guide my mind in these situations and just trust that in the moment something will come into my head that 
will call for my attention and I can just focus in on that. So, and it seems to work out well, you know, cause I'm not, I don't have like this checklist in my mind or any specific guidelines that I'm trying to follow. I'm just kind of letting it happen, I guess. So that sounds pretty good, actually. I mean, it sounds on the surface like a bit of free association and well, like, well, aren't you losing the structure of your thoughts? But your learning is already in you. You already know about ranges and sizings and stuff. And so right. you're freeing up your mind to pay attention to those relative, those relevant things. Right. And letting those things come to you rather than you trying to, to go to them. Right. This is you at your most profound, I believe. Yeah, I, I think so as well. It just <laughs> took a while to get there. I'm s still working on it, but have my days. That's Some days nice. I, I am sitting there struggling. You know, I've got too much information overload and it doesn't help. <laughs> but no, I still won't tank. I will not. Like when I say I tank, it's, you know, it's still pretty quick. <laughs> it's still faster than most players. Uh, you you, you want to go there, huh? Okay, well, we'll just, we'll just go there a little bit. So I believe, you know, one of your countrymen at the final table was taking some time, right? Isn't, isn't he from Chicago? Isn't that one of the suburbs of Detroit? Uh, it's about four hours away. So I'm going to say we're totally disconnected from that town. Okay, so, you know. We're, Especially because that close. guy's from there. Right. I mean, so... You know, poker players, what they do is they complain about everything. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, I'm inviting you to complain right now. Oh, that guy. I mean, in, I don't know. You see this spill over in the, in the games, in the live games, you know, in the cash games, too, which makes it worse. But, like, when that guy is dealt, I think he was dealt, like, Jack-6 offsuit. He's first to act, and he, you know, places his cards on the sensor, and he kind of crosses his arms. He's looking around the table, and he's asking people for chip counts. And it's like, <laughs> you have Jack Six Offsuit. Like, you can fold here, and no one's going to – you're not giving anything away by just folding, you know. I mean, the only thing that someone's going to know is, okay, he's taking a second. He's going to play this hand. But it doesn't matter, <laughs> at least I don't think. I mean, maybe there's something there. But – you know, like you said, if, if Federer Holtz does something, then uh, everyone will do it. So I guess, I don't know, whatever he's doing, I guess, worked out for him. He's, he's won more money than in poker than I have, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I'm going to hear on air mount uh, a defense of tanking so that you have something to argue with. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think what's happening here is that the tournament's have become a performance and not just a game, you know, among competitors or friends. You are on stage. You are, there's the lights and the action is on you. And, and when you, when you get in this situation, you need a kind of formal behavior. And I think this, this tanking and the posturing and the asking for chip counts, yeah, they may not be necessary, but they're kind of the, a kind of form of politeness, in, in a sense, a kind of um, <laughs> wasting your time as a for, form of politeness. <laughs> well, you know, bear bear with me here. It's it's a form of behavior that's ah. Here's what I'm looking for. It's 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 a codification of what the tournaments have become, and if you're not taking part in that and treating it like a cash game where you can you know 
you know, be eating on a sandwich or whatever it is sure. <laughs> Daniel Negreanu babbles on about. And in fact, that's kind of the point, right? At a cash game, if we're watching poker after dark and we're watching these buffoons run around and, you know, <laughs> people complain about this and that and wanting what that, they can have a sandwich and it's not no big deal. But if you were to just sit there and I invite you to do this, by the way, if you ever get oh, to the table, <laughs> because it would be awesome, is you should just sit there and eat a sandwich. But you can't do that. <laughs> you, it is that you're on stage. And so I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that the tanking and posturing is a formal cultural phenomenon that arises because of the structure of, of the event itself. And you can look forward to more tanking to come. Yeah, I, I mean, you're probably right. I guess when you get on that big stage, you know, the final table, maybe it's just, you know, I have to I have to take my time and really make my decision. That way, all the viewers at home, you know, are thinking, you know, that I'm in some deep poker thought here. But we know that Maz probably was not in that. He's just just sitting there, you know, taking his time, getting on TV. And, uh, you know, I don't, I've never played with him, but just from what I've seen at the table there, I mean... Did not seem to be like a, an all-star poker player, but I mean, it's at the final table. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't think the guy knows which utensil to cut his food with, frankly. But yeah, I don't. You know, yeah. I. But at the <laughs> final, but I don't think that like at a green light, he pauses and tanks. I don't think that when he's ordering, you know, his <laughs> cappuccino at the Starbucks, he like stares right to the eyes of everyone and then like asks for how much it is again yeah and he's gonna look so sure. painful too like every decision was like i mean life or death and it, it i mean what really got annoying was that you know he would take his time pretending like he's getting ready to make like this big play but he never did ever he never made the the big play you know he just kind of tanked and made it th made try to get people to think he was getting ready to do something heroic and then he just folds like, right, and I'm saying magic. this is. I think he he was just feeling more than others the 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 the, the cultural need to do that. Right, he's, sure. He's young, right, and yeah. uh, he hasn't been there, and he he just to fit in to any scenario. Like say, okay, yeah, just you, uh... yeah, like say you go do something new. You're gonna be you're gonna be awkwardly doing what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that's and that's I, true. You know, and so I think it's a, and just uh, fit in, you know, right. So you won't see you won't see like the most who's the, who is the most serious pro at the table. I'm not even sure. Was it Livingston? Was he the or, I mean, are, are you asking like the most um, like the like biggest who, name pro or who should have the most experience? It was San Martino, right? Oh, yeah. OK. And like, did he did he tank and like mess around like that? Well, well, he's got a whole nother problem over there. He's staring people down so awkwardly. But, okay, so. yeah, I was kind of leading into like a kind of a fake, uh, yeah, kind of a, a dead end of my, intentionally leading into a dead end for myself. But seriously, he wasn't like wasting people's time in the same right. yeah. way that Moz was. He wasn't going to just sit there because he knows and he knows and like everything is familiar to him. Right. Now, you want to move on to him and his staring. <laughs> I mean, so so awkward. Oh my god! Tell, tell us what you noticed about that. I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, it's it's one thing to stare at a person that's you know directly across the table from you, 
But I find when when you're staring at the player that's sitting directly to your left or right, where you actually have to turn your body to stare at them, that's when it's, I mean, it's weird enough just staring at someone across the table, but when you're turning and like just looking right into someone's eyes next to you, I mean, it's just so, it's weird. I don't know. Who wants to watch that on TV? Like, I don't know. I just, I find it awkward. I, I mean... I don't know what I would do in that situation. Luckily, this hasn't spilled over into the live games where people stare you down like that because I wouldn't like it, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, we have... you know, there there are players who are famous for it, like Mike McDonald and some others. I know, you know, even Ivy himself kind of glares into you a little yeah. bit. And I, I could see it, you know, because certainly when someone's staring at you, you know, if it makes you uncomfortable, you might give something away about, the strength of strength of your hand or something. So, I mean, from a strategic sense, I guess it, you know, it has a part, but from the social aspect, it's just it's so well, weird. Well, the social aspect's just awful. And I think your buddy DGAF said it well, staring is just rude. I mean, Oh, it's, yeah. It's just but rude. I like what he, his response to people that stare is, is that he stares back at him and he's like, you know, I'll stare a hole through you if I have to. <laughs> and it's... I mean, I don't know. He's got the greatest responses to pretty much every poker situation, it seems. He's right. very good for the game. Well, I think I'm going to use this as a segue back into your own game because, you know, I don't spend a lot of time staring at people. And, in fact, what I'll do often is just take a very deliberate glance at someone. And I feel like my sure. mind, much akin to the way you're describing you let your mind be guided by the information that you receive, my mind picks up from that single flash, that photo, photograph sort of, mm -hmm. whatever I need. I don't need, like, I, what I'm saying is I don't think San Martino's getting anything in 30 seconds that I would get in three. Sure. So I think that you, as you know, you've been playing well, you've been making some remarkable folds and getting yeah. not paying people off, getting paid in reverse. And yeah. you're doing this all very quickly. It's you're using your knowledge of the game to play in a very comfortable way. And I think Martino, San Martino rather, and and others who who go into this cultural mode of spending an ornate amount of time for something are trying to force something that they really don't need. Yeah, that's very possible, I think. Because I'm the same way. Like, I'm not going to stare at a player, but I, I will give them a glance. And, yeah, whatever I get in two seconds is, all right, you know, if there's something there, then something will pop into my mind, I think. And if not, then I'll, I'll move on, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I'm not right. going to stare at somebody for sure. I can't. It doesn't even make me comfortable to stare at somebody. Absolutely. Well, moving on. Speaking of moving on, uh, you don't just play live, but you play online. You specifically play on one of the poker apps. And, yes. Uh, I want you to tell us in this episode kind of all about that. And I also want you to, to talk about, I mean, first of all, you play in more than one game, including my own. So. Right. Let's let's hear about the the PP poker experience. I never remember. Is it three P's or four or what is it? It is. Yeah, it's two P's and then poker, so three total. Yes, yeah, so I've been playing on there since I think it's been since about December of last year, and I'm playing. You know, there's all these clubs in there, so you know, you have a club, and then this, one of my friends he has 
a couple of clubs and within these clubs, there's all sorts of games, all the stakes, you know, there's PLO, there's no limit, whatever. And, and I've been in there playing basically all of the stakes of no limit. And occasionally I hop into the crazy side of uh, PLO and then the, the really crazy side of the five card PLO. But, but most of my time is spent playing the no limit games and in these rooms, the, Stakes range from there's like 30 cent, 60 cent up to 510, and I've I play in all of all of them. Just depends on what which games are running. The nice thing in some of these rooms is that the buy-ins are 200 blinds deep, um, so that's a little bit different than most online sites that are just you know 100 blinds deep. So I, I do enjoy playing the deeper games. And there's also a, a kind of a weird thing about PP poker. Is is that you know if you were to go play on like global or poker stars, you're going to get more of an online environment, you know, where I don't know. There's just a certain way that people play online, whereas for the most part on PP poker, especially at the lower stakes, it's more of the live player that just happens to be playing online. And if you go to a casino, you'll see some guys playing, you know, live and on one of these apps at, at the same time. And so it's a little, a little bit different, just because you know, the live players play a little differently than the, the online players. You know, on these sites, I mean, there are some just outright terrible players, and you've, there's also some good players. But there's also some players that you just kind of get the sense that they don't really know what they're doing, but they're just kind of copying something they've seen a, a better player do, and. I don't know. And you can just sense when it's all about to fall apart for them <laughs> on there. <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the big thing on there, you know, online is, you know, everyone, they, they want to bet, you know, one third pot or, or something like that. And you'll, you'll see some guys do that on there where it's like, all right, they bet the one third pot and then they get to the turn and they're, they're totally lost. They don't know what to do, you know, and that's when it all falls apart for them. Or they just fall apart straight away when they bet the one-third pot because they, you know, like some of the the GTO uh, guidelines or the simplification is to, you know, bet one-third pot with all of your range on certain boards. But they won't, they won't do that. <laughs> They'll split their range in like a weird way where it's like, they really only bet the one-third pot with like their strongest hands on certain boards. Like if it comes king seven two, you know they'll bet one-third pot with ace king, but never with queens or some other weak hand. And and then the the guys that do you know make the the full range bet, they get lost on the turn right away. So so that's just what I mean by like these copycat guys. Like they they've seen this bet, people do it, so they do it, but then they didn't understand the full context of how it needs to work in a total strategy there. So they're probably not going to win. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't think they do, but also I don't mean, I don't want to give this away too. Well, I'm going to give it away completely. You're a VIP there. You have a, a package, right? Oh yeah. I've got the the package that it allows. Well, <laughs> the reason I have it is uh, oddly enough, because I needed the time bank because, uh, you know, and I'm saying I it really it. fast, but you know, online sometimes, sometimes you just, you just need like that extra 30 seconds. And if you don't have this VIP package, you never get to just give yourself those extra few seconds to think of a, a tough spot. So you don't have to pay. It's like, 
I don't know how much it is, maybe 30 or it might even be like $50 a month, maybe. I can't remember the price, but, yet, you know, PP Poker, they need to be paid for anything you do in this app. So I pay for this mainly for the time bank, but it also gives you some of their some of your uh, opponent's basic stats, like their VPIP and PFR and 3-bet stuff, which I'll I'd certainly use, and I, I probably make way too many assumptions based on these numbers, but it seems to work out all right for me. Well, I mean, I think you make some great assumptions. I don't, I think you've got, you know, first of all, yeah, PP Poker is a little bit like Spirit Airlines. They, they're charging <laughs> you for the time bank. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But and it's a little overpriced, it would seem. But then you go and we and we see you play, and we'll get into this. And you make some very reasonable deductions based on the stats that you have, because obviously there's no HUD that you can install into PPP Poker, at least not yet. But they provide this if if you are willing to buy it. You know, on that, I've I have someone just told me the other day that you can hook up one of those uh, programs like hold a manager or something to PP poker using a, a third party software too. And oh, it will shit. give you a HUD stat like it would on any other site. I, I haven't looked into it yet, but this kid at the casino was telling me that the other day, which, which I didn't know I might look into it. I might not, I don't know, but I seem content with just the basic stats. I've, I mean, I feel like I can get a quick glimpse of a player's style based on that and then i like i said i end up making some assumptions based on those numbers for how they'll play later streets too which i guess it seems to work out fine but i've always been wondering like am i making big leaps here in these in these assumptions but maybe not i don't think you are and a lot of a lot of the the decisions are these very binary decisions where pre-flop some guy with like a four percent v-pip three bets you <laughs> yeah, yeah <I'm> just <laughs> and, <laughs> and then it's like you know you're going to be playing for stacks so you know we'll just give up here and it's probably a really good idea frankly. right yeah. yeah it's funny seeing some of the the stats of these players because there's such a wide range of players on here so you'll you'll see guys that have like good looking stats and then some of them are just like like the other day i shared a screenshot of a guy he and they tell you how many hands you've played too so you can get an idea of you know what's the sample size of this and the guy had like 20 or 30,000 hands in his PFR and three bet percentage were both zero. So, I mean, it's like, I mean, you don't raise ever. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's quite an accomplishment to have zero. I mean, I mean, that's, there's kind of like, he's kind of consistent. I mean, I kind of admire his commitment in a way. Yeah. I mean, like... I've, I've experimented before where I went, I played for, I don't know, a week or two where I decided I'll just, I, I just will play and I will never raise pre-flop. I'll just limp and call or limp and re-raise or something. And I mean, it, it was fun, but it's not something I wanted to do like for 30,000 hands, you know? Well, you know, he's he's just a lot more mentally strong than you, I think. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, you do do these experiments, or at least you're always trying different things or using these things, and we get to watch you do it sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've I started a. I'm, I'm hesitant to say I started a YouTube channel because that really wasn't my intent. Because what I wanted to do was back when I was thinking about, you know, how to make a decision at the poker table, 
I had a, a thought of like, okay, what I want to do now is I want to record myself playing or get on a stream, which I couldn't get on a stream anywhere around here. So I decided, well, I'll just record myself playing on PP Poker and I'll just talk while I'm playing about whatever it is I'm thinking during a hand or, or whatever. And I'll just record it and then I can watch it and just kind of take note of what I was talking about or whatever. And the way the YouTube channel came up is that I wanted to share these videos with the back room and I didn't have a place to, I, I needed to save them somewhere in order to post them onto TBR, I guess. Maybe that's not true, but that's my understanding. So, so I put them on YouTube and I had them set as private. And then after a little while, I just decided, you know, I'll just make them public. And, you know, the, the channel's taken off. I've got up to, uh, just checking yesterday, I had 13 subscribers now. So, and I'm, I'm one of those subscribers with my other <laughs> account, I, you know, my YouTube account that I created is called Jam Basket Poker. And I've got my other Jason Burge account, which is subscribing to Jam Basket. So really only 12 subscribers, but, uh, you know, it's really, things are going fast over here. <laughs> wow. You're, you're multi-accounting to boost subscription rates. Yeah. <laughs> outrageous you know well i was i mentioned this not just because it's what you've been up to but because jason is is really fun on these videos and you, you'll want to check them out i'll include a link to them uh he's a he's a great narrator of of poker strategy and you know as you might imagine even though he's well versed in theory he refuses to conform to it and, and plays <laughs> a very interesting style that's that's entertaining which, I mean, again, we, if we can leap around a little bit, you know, there's always these complaints whenever Poker After Dark comes on or the latest streaming cash comes on or the WSOP. Like, they're not entertaining. They don't talk enough. Oh, now they're talking too much. They're too right. quiet. Now they're too loud. I mean, what is with people and their endless complaints? What What's at the bottom of this? I don't know. It's just like... That's just what poker players do. You know, we have to complain about something. It's, and it's, you know, especially in live poker, it's so slow. I mean, you've got to waste, kill the time doing something. And what better way than complaining about something? <laughs> I guess what I'm interested in is, like, why is the culture of poker so immersed in complaining? I don't think I've ever been a part of any group of people who whine more. Is, is there something about the game that just brings this on? I don't know. I mean, maybe the game just kind of slowly beats you down a little bit. You know, if you if you play the game for several years and you go through some bad streaks and it's just the mental weight of the game, maybe it just wears you down so much to where you just end up complaining without even realizing it. Like, you know, from day one on poker, you know, there's some things that are happening that maybe you wouldn't even think to complain about. But by day, you know, a thousand, you're probably like so irritated by it and it's probably nothing you know but i don't know i guess some some things i mean when you play poker and you just see stuff happening over and over like when you've seen it for the thousandth time you're just like i mean all right i can't take it anymore i'm gonna complain now or something i don't know i said it's a mystery to me i almost think i was wondering if it's a physical thing is it the lack of physical movement that just puts people in like you don't be it's like people who are running, energy or something yeah like people who are running around don't spend a lot of time complaining sure you know, if you're a, if you're a jogger it's like oh, you know the sidewalks are really hard today you know you don't you don't hear <laughs> stuff like that this is not something you like even think of uh, right. i'm just wondering if being on your ass 
somehow triggers some sort of, you know, parasympathetic response, some sort of neural response where you just have to complain. Right? I'm just, I'm trying here. I'm trying to understand. We could probably figure this out if, if anyone would take on my idea of creating a table that would give the players the option of standing or sitting. We'd be able to, you know, figure out like, all right, are the guys that are choosing to stand complaining more or less than those that are sitting? I think, Maybe. yeah, I think, wow, you just solved it. Oh, I don't have to worry yeah, about got... it. <laughs> we just have to make the, uh, the, the sit stand table and, and we'll, and we'll know. I well, well speaking of a thing. In today's world, there's standing <laughs> I, desks all over and you can't stand playing poker. There should be a running track, you know. We could, yeah, we I could think all uh, Ben be... Salsky has one of those, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. Just have nine of those. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be, a, you know, this is just such a We would see the great... complaints drop down to zero right away. Everyone right. would be too tired. <laughs> ah. well, well, speaking of, of, you know, the tables and live poker... You've got some stuff going on. You've been you've been playing great. You seem to to be well. Bring up some of these folds, and then we'll talk about a hand that you played. Oh yeah, these folds. Just the last few weeks are are unreal in the game. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to even mention them because they're they seem they are so, they are a little strange. They seem so nitty, but like the other day, the I mean, all these hands involve me holding like a premium pair, you know, and it's, it's just unreal that I'm, I get away with losing almost no money on these boards. Like, like just last night I had a hand where, where I had Queens and I had flatted and open from, uh, the hijack open and I flatted Queens from the cutoff. Don't ask me why. I mean, really the reason why is because I had folded every single hand up until this point And I really do not like when my first three bet is actually a hand so i call and uh like the the small blind calls and the big blind squeezes and the hijack calls and then i call again so i mean this hand's like a a train wreck out of the gate here but the flop comes nine seven six and the big blind bets the hijack calls and i fold and then the small blind jams and the other two guys call and you know one the big blind has aces the small blind has the straight and i'm just like laughing to myself like i mean i lost like no money here and no one even knows you know it's like <laughs> and i've just had so many of these hands where i've you know I, and actually last night as well i had this was shortly after the queen's hand i opened with aces and got uh like two or three calls behind me and the flop came jack 8 4 rainbow i checked a guy bet another guy raised and i folded and the guy had a set of fours, and, and I'm just like, if if this game was on stream, like I would be getting just laughed off of the the table, but I'm I'm folding these hands, not even concerned that I'm, I mean I shouldn't say not concerned, but not overly concerned that I'm making a mistake by folding, because like I said, one of my things is to say like. All right, if this guy shows me a set of fours, I don't want to praise myself for like, oh, that was a great fold. I want to think about it. Like, you know, was it a good fold against his range? And I always come to the answer as, yeah, it was fine. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And it's, it's unfortunate lately that I keep having to make these folds when I have like these premium pairs on these raggedy, disconnected boards but I'm just facing action from players that I, you know, these hands just fall down to 
just folds right away and it's it's disheartening you know i hate you hate to just fold aces on jack eight four like that just check fold like <laughs> it makes wrong. no sense in the vacuum but what no, you're not at all and, yeah yeah <laughs> oh, i guess i'll just you're... keep doing it i don't know <laughs> yeah i know you're, you're telling me you know these guys i mean that's what you're really telling me yeah and you know and i know you you challenge us in uh in chat all the time like well how well can you really know someone and <laughs> I, I try to keep that in the back of my mind like yeah i play with these guys fairly often but you know how well do i really know them like how confident do i need to be here to just fold aces you know and and at at the moment, I'm just very confident that I don't need to even try to defend against some of them. I'm just folding and don't only tell you guys and no one at the table even knows what just happened. You know, it's it's kind of funny when I think of that. They're like, I'm like, these guys don't even realize that I just check folded aces to them right now. And, and Well, it is weird. And I'll I'll bring up two hands and maybe you can you can help me. The first one, you won't need help. I was because you mentioned being on stream, and I remember I got onto the stone stream at the very end of the stream. It wasn't clear whether I was being streamed or not. I think I was for like a few minutes, okay. Um, and then I and then I went off. So I, I don't. I think what happened is when this hand happened, they had turned off the stream, and it was night night. But I ended up just check folding aces, similar to you, on mm -hmm. this board where. You know, you just understand how these players play. And on this board, like, I'm just not... Like, if I get the money in, it's like a crying call. <laughs> right. Know? It's like... it's like, and But but and that would be fine. And just in a game, I just pitch it. You know, I've done that before. And I've even done that and been wrong. But this was on stream. And I was thinking, I was like, God, I'm going to look so fucking stupid when I check fold aces. Yeah, like, I'm never going to get invited back to the screen. They're going to be like, this guy is terrible for the game here. <laughs> Right. So, so the guy, you know, so similar to your spots, you got confirmation, right? So the guy like yeah. shows, shows me the nuts. He's like, Oh, you know, I guess I thought, I guess you had ace king or something because you got away from it. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I've been in spot sack life before, you know, against players where they like get in all this money on the, on the flop or turn and I fold aces and they're like, damn, I wish you had aces. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, if you only knew, you know, <laughs> But the advice I want to ask you on is, is on a spot, you know, like what's I want to I just I need to get some of that some of that folding mojo back, frankly. Oh, God. <laughs> OK, because like I as anyone who talked to me knows, I ran into it in Vegas just a ton. Sure. And now I come back home and last night after putting in a pretty good win in my last orbit. I run kings into aces and just lose everything that I'd earned. <laughs> but I felt like that was on me, really. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what I'm asking you is, like, what are you looking for? And it's great that we're having this conversation because we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to fold kings, right? <laughs> and and then we're, that's why we're going to keep this conversation between you and me here. <laughs> Like, what are you looking for overall when you make, you know, these very exploitative plays? Well, well the one thing is, uh, you know, Doug, which hopefully he comes on the podcast one day if we can convince him, not not Polk, but, uh, you know, our Doug, 
he was we were talking about you know like what does it take to bluff and he had like a few categories and hopefully i can remember them so there's the motive the willingness and the opportunity and so i'm usually kind of thinking about these things so a lot of the guy or what did i say motive willingness and opportunity is what they are so a, a lot of the people in my player pool they don't really have the willingness to bluff so even if they could potentially have the motive to bluff like you know there's some great spot that comes up and they know that i'll fold aces here like that should give them some motive um so they could have that and they might even have some hands in the range that offer them the opportunity to bluff as well. But a lot of these guys just don't have the willingness to do it. They'll just wait for, you know, mm. a better spot to have it. So with a lot of these guys, you know, I, and I make, I do this on my jam basket videos too. And, and I'll, I'll use like their three bet stat to kind of help me gauge whether or not they're going to bluff me later on in a hand. Like if someone has a really low three bet stat, like I take that as these guys will be very unlikely to bluff me later in a hand, especially on the river when the bet is now big. So the thought there is if they're not willing to like three bet me very often, which would, you know, um, point to a lighter range. If they're not going to do that for like nine or 10 big blinds, then they're probably not going to bluff me later for, you know, 50 big blinds. So with guys in my game that aren't three betting much, my default is like anytime they get aggressive post flop for more than, you know, 10 blinds, like I'm probably going to fold to you and, and I'm going to sleep fine knowing that. <laughs> so, but you know, there, there are players that are aggressive that I'll, you know, where I'm like, all right, I'm I probably like, and this is like live two five that I'm playing. I'm still like, okay, you're fairly aggressive pre-flop, but I'll still probably fold to you later on. Cause I, I don't buy that you're going to be aggressive enough later in the hand. So, so usually it's just me running from like anytime someone starts to get aggressive, I'm like, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's kind of a, you know, it's two things. It's, it's a, you're, you're kind of describing a, a player pool tendency, which, you know, yeah, I can somewhat be on board with, but you're also looking very specific. You're correlating maybe more than I would, the ability to re-raise pre-flop with uh, late street aggression based simply on the fact that it costs them more, right? Right, which it seems like a fair starting assumption to have. It's not wild or anything. But yeah, like when it's aces versus kings, especially when several raises go in pre-flop, like I'm always thinking, is this, per like if I have kings and it's like, you know, the fifth raise, I'm like, was this guy ever doing this with queens? And the answer is almost always no for me. I mean, there are a few players that will, but for the most part, it's just not happening. What what hand in your in your range has the incentive to put in like this fifth bet here? And it's usually aces, you know. Well, that's almost normal. I mean, that's that's almost reasonable. What I'm yeah. talking about here, and I and I won't drag this out too much longer, because I used to be better at this. Like in a live game, when you see like a three bet or a limp raise like is there anything in terms of sizing or in terms of frequencies that gives away you know the time that well this is the aces time i think in my game players i mean it's kind of hard with sizing pre-flop because i think a lot of players when they do three bet a lot of them just do like all right 
Um, the open was 20. Well, I just do 3x anything. But so I don't think they give away too much with sizing, especially on the three bet. Mm. Trying to think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm really seeing anything with sizing. It's more of just the the fact that they took a certain action in itself. Because I'm not seeing a lot of. I mean, like occasionally you'll see like a min three bet, which is never aces or anything like that. Because um, everyone's too afraid that someone's going to call and like crack them. So like if they're sizing smaller, it's. I think it kind of it weakens their range a little bit, but. Certainly, I, I think if the if the sizing goes larger, like if it starts to creep into like the five x, at least in my games, it tends to be probably aces. So, I guess that's where I stand. You know, if they if they stray outside of the the kind of the, the corporate three x, there, if it's smaller, it's probably not aces. If it's larger, it's gonna be kind of trending towards aces a little more often. But hmm. the limp raise. <laughs> In live poker, that's that's always aces there every single time. Except it's not. It's, it's, just, it's just not true. I know it's um, not for me when I limp raise. I mean, I definitely do not have aces when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, fair. Uh, but what I'm saying to the to the listeners is that yes, there is a perception that it's heavy to be aces, but I don't think it's at all true that it's just universally aces even for new players yeah yeah i don't mean to imply that it's oh it's just aces i mean but it's for many players it it is but it's but it's going to be like a strong range like it's probably not going to be like seven five suited in there too often i mean that's what i'll have but uh um but most of the guys like in my in my games it's going to be a good hand like ace king's going to be in there for sure um aces um yeah, but I, I do think it is a, like a stronger range. Maybe not necessarily just aces, but strong hand, strong range. Yeah, for sure. I'm what I'm getting at, and we'll move away from this now. Is, is is you know there are behaviors if you're a live player that you can follow that will indicate aces very particularly. Been wondering if you've been picking up on that, but let's let's move on because and we're going to talk about another one of your. Uh, Another one of your plays, and this time you don't fold, uh, which I, I guess is good because you want to you want to make money in poker and you can't win when we fold. So you sent me a hand that you were willing to talk about. Okay. And I'm going to try to call that up. Maybe you should too. And yep, if you could tell us about this hand with Ace King, could you set it all up? Uh, give us the stakes, you know, the action, you know, what you're drinking, everything you think that's relevant. <laughs> I can't remember if I was drinking at this point in the session. I think I was because I had taken a nasty beat from some dipshit that got lucky, very lucky on me. But um, so I was in the hole at this point. So I was, you know, I was angry and probably drinking. Um, but this game was wild as heck. I mean, every pot was going like four and five ways with, you know, two to four hundred dollars in in the pot pre-flop. I mean, there's a there's another. Uh, so, you know, I support DGAF um, through his Patreon uh, page. And there's a, a guy that plays there, too, and he supports him as well. And this guy's like really good for the game. Like he's a good, good player, but he keeps things going and he's not going to fold ever. So he gets when he's at the table. I mean, the pots are they get big. And, uh, but anyway, so this is a, a two, five game, there's nine handed and 
think everyone's got everyone's got at least a, a thousand. I think that's what I had because I had gotten stacked here not too much longer prior to this hand, so I rebought for a thousand. Um, but I open Ace King offsuit from around middle position for thirty five, and I think there was a yeah there was a button straddle on this hand for ten, and I opened um, from middle position to thirty five. And then uh, the player in the hijack called, the button called, and then the big blind calls as well. And the flop comes king, queen, nine, rainbow. And the, the blind checks, and I check, and it actually checks over to the button. And the guy overbets the pot. He bets 165 into 140. And it folds around to me. And this guy, he's been a little wild in this session, like he's overbet several times and I don't know why I've never, I'd never seen him before. Um, but he must've must be watching live at the bike or something. Cause I swear almost any time he bet, it was just an overbet, which is fine. It's just, it's different. So I end up calling this bet and now it's just heads up him and I, and the turn comes a queen. It's an offsuit queen and it goes check, check. And then the river is an offsuit seven and I checked to him, and he bets 500 into about 470. And now the action is back to me. And I went into the tank here for for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Uh, let's. Uh, I think we know that you call, but we'll leave it at that. We'll keep the good. mystery of what happens because it's definitely a weird spot. So, just to, we're going to go through the hand now and. If you're listening, we'll, we'll recite the action again. Uh, there's a button straddle, and you go to 35. What do, what do you think of your middle position sizing here? You know, you're 3xing, 3.5xing the straddle, but there's also the blinds to think about. Yeah, it's it's definitely on the small side, especially because um, the way the straddle works here is that the blinds act first. So in this case, the small blind had folded. And then the big blind had called for 10. So now there's, you know, 20, 22 in the pot. And I made it 35. So it's kind of on the smaller side. It probably needs, probably could be up a little higher to the, you know, 45, 50 area. Especially, you know, just aside from just kind of basic sizing. But this game, these few guys behind me are not folding. So going a little larger with ace-king, probably not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, never mind Ace King, but I, w I would think whatever you're opening might want to be a little bit larger. But I, you know, right. I can. It, the the fun thing about sizing is that as long as you're capable of adjusting to what you create, it's like sizing on any street. Uh, there's a range that can support that sizing, and and the lower right. we go here, we can sort of maybe hope and induce if we're opening a wider range, which we can at 35, we can we can maybe get the button to. Uh, play like a, a straddle, you know, right? and and shoot it up here. But it sounds like he folds. Um, or no, he calls, though. Yeah, he the button actually calls flat. here. So you open, there's a there's a call in front of him, looks like from the hijack, the button calls, and then the big blind calls. So there's uh, you know, a little more than 140 in the pot. We started with 1,000. So we've got some, some room to work with here. Right. The flop is spread... King, Queen, Nine, Rainbow. We don't know your suits. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to come up. Uh, I don't uh, think so. 
Yeah, I think this is kind of a, this hand is interesting, but it's not because there's a, a whole bunch of decisions. It's interesting because of the board and these and these sizings that the guy is going to fire into you. Right. But notice that it says, you know, you say the button bets 165 into 140. It's four way and you check uh, king queen nine. Comment on that. So with I, I don't know. I just did not want to bet here. I I wanted to check because these couple guys behind me, uh, the hijack and button, they tend to stab quite a bit. So actually, when I first checked, I was I was considering a check raise against these players, but I I kind of lost my appetite on that after the guy overbet, which <laughs> probably should make me check raise. Should probably entice me to check raise a little bit just from. Have, having seen this player play, and he's he's overbetting like very often, and I think that should probably give me some incentive to still raise him here. But I kind of I, I don't know. I just I lost appetite when he overbet, especially because I had just gotten stacked, so I wasn't all too well, all too course. excited to get it all in again here. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course you're gonna you're going to hesitate. Everyone does, and it's both natural and also a slight misunderstanding of how sizing works. Now let's just talk about your check. Facing three opponents out of position on a board, which is only an illusion that it's super favorable to you. Because, first of all, these guys do have sets of nines, but most more importantly, they have every two pair available. Oh, yeah. In In addition to the straight. And you don't. I mean, you... You you might depending on what you're doing, but you don't have the perception of having say queen nine or king nine necessarily. Right. Um, so you're going to find ideally a lot of checks on this board, and I think that was a a good decision. Getting raised here with ace king, obviously uh, for two hundred with, with well, we're not two hundred big blinds effective. Remember, we're one hundred big blinds because of the straddle. Right. But it's still a, a bit of a, an investment out of position with top pair versus, uh, say, a hand that against three other players uh, wants to, to get all the money. And we're just kind of hoping at that point. Right. Um, so that's that's all reasonable. The hijack checks, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but, you know, if he has the nuts, he really should probably be building the pot. Here. Yeah, I think he probably would bet. He's he's got he's got a wild image, but he knows how to he knows how to deal with that image. So he I think if he had something good here, he's probably going to bet just because no one really believes him very often anyway. So he'd have no reason yeah. to check. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is is if if nine likes to make these big bets, and if he's wearing this you know straddle T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he can still just be checking over to the button and, and expecting uh, and expecting to get action from him. So my right. point was, I, I I think in general seven should be betting uh, hands he intends to get value from, but not necessarily. Sure, yeah, especially with the guy and and the button making all these large bets all the time, he certainly has incentive to check some strong hands. Right. Do I? So now. Straddle guy bets 165 into the 140, and that is an interesting play into so many people. In general, a flop overbetting strategy can be 
very effective. It's not something that many people do. But yeah. in into this whole crowd, it's a little bit questionable. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I don't necessarily uh, know if he knows what he was getting himself into with all these big bets. I think he just liked to play big pots and – He's going to put some money in there. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, when you have Ace King, he's going to get his wish. But the problem is, you know, everyone else can have, you know, Queen 9, King Queen. I don't think they have a lot of top set or middle set, but 9. So, right. so this should be a strong hand. Um, right. Certainly King 9 or maybe a hand like uh, like 10-8, which blocks the nuts and kind of has a little gutter thing going on. Sure. Might be, hands like that might be, you might be incentivized to put them into this large bet range because they don't really want to play against all these other, uh, all this other shared equity. Right. And, you know, the bluffs with the gutters, which make a lot of sense here, like Ace-10, would certainly be, I think, a reasonable uh, way to instantly create a on-the-fly overbet into three people flop strategy. Right. Yeah. But I don't know what he's thinking. And either way, we get to to deal with it, which is really cool. The the big blind folds, right? Yep. And now the action's on you. And what is your decision-making process here? So. I, I knew that this guy, he doesn't necessarily have to have a strong hand because he's he's made these bets like too often at this point. So I know I'm not folding, so it's just a matter of if I want to raise or not. And I just decide to call. I think the sizing obviously slowed me down. And, and maybe, even though I probably didn't think of this in game, maybe it was in the back of my mind where, you know, the player in the hijack still has to act and he you know, he's not necessarily just going to fold here. He could still have a strong hand, just kind of trapping this kind of crazy guy on the button. So I just wanted to call and kind of, I'm going into wimp mode here for sure. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hoping this thing just like checks down and, and I can just, you know, win easily or something. But <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, my initial thought was I was thinking of raise check raising on the, on the flop. But once I faced this sizing, that was that was out the window, and but I also knew I wasn't just check folding this time to this guy, maybe maybe to somebody else, but not to this guy. Right. So I don't think your decision is is so scared, and the in the reason uh, we'll go into two reasons. Well, we'll go into two things. One is pro raising, and one is against. And the and the reason uh, not to raise here is, as I sort of hinted at, is the hijack. He. Right. While he should have should be betting in general, he's just so incentivized to check versus this guy that when you decide to raise here, and we'll go into the very quickly into why you'd want to raise here. When you raise, you're getting the money in bad versus uh, the hijack, not the button. Right. So then, why would you ever raise such a large bet? Large bet. Well, that and that's confusing to people, and without going into every detail about this when a range is when a when a range is missized when it is putting in more money than it should most players want to call and bluff catch but you're actually incentivized to do the opposite you end up getting max value and capitalizing on their error their inefficient money 
by raising and by having a bluff raising range. So it wouldn't be so strange if you didn't have to deal with this exact scenario where the hijack is possibly lying in wait for you. It would not be strange at all to raise. And I'm glad you recognize that. Uh, but I'm equally glad you recognize that you just have to, you can't just do this uh, in, in a multi-way scenario where one player could be trapping the better. Right. And especially ace-king becomes a terrible hand to do it with. Why? Because you're not blocking the nuts. I mean, and you have such high showdown value that you would hate to raise full. That would just be a disaster. Right. Okay, so you decide to call, and good for you. I, I take it that the hijack folds. Yep, he's he's out, so All safe right. for now. <laughs> okay, so what have, what have we got in this pot on the turn let's do some quick math it's like here. 330 and 140 so 470 in there now okay so now we see the queen which is a interesting card and it's really how, how do you react to this card so i i know i'm not i'm just never gonna bet into this guy because i'm planning on him probably just kind of barreling off and i'm i'm kind of recognizing that i'm probably gonna have to call Against him, but I, I saw the queen as like a a decent card from to hit because now some of the hands fall away. Like if he had queen nine, there's a few less of these value combinations or king queen. So it's not a terrible card in that. Like I'm not giving him credit, and I don't know if this is right or not. Like for overbetting, like just a naked queen, you know. Like, but maybe maybe he would with like queen jack or queen ten. Like I said, it's not like he's putting a ton of thought into his range construction here with this bet, but it felt like a reasonably safe card for me to, to hit on the turn for some reason. And I don't know if it's true or not. Well, I think combinatorially it is. And given the action it is, what's so strange about this hand is if you were taking a normal line here and there wasn't all these players and you were betting ace-king, the queen should freeze you, and you should only continue very polarized because that's his card. Uh, a lot of his range composes is composed of things like queen jack, queen ten, right? Uh, even queen eight suited, ace queen that slow played. It's, it's a it's a card that naturally wants to just call, but now we have this reverse action where he overbets into the preflop raiser. Now the queen shouldn't help him as much, right? Um, so while it would be very sophisticated of you <laughs> to lead into this card, I don't think it's entirely necessary. And I think that's because you and I both know he's probably going to play the turn fairly honestly on this card. Right. And, well, I mean, for instance, what would you do had he now bet, you know, 350 into the 470? Ooh, man, I don't know. I, I was so <laughs> tempted to just be... Like probably not folded this guy ever. You know? Okay. <laughs> it's right. like in that zone, whether it's right or wrong. But I mean, if he bet, that would it would suck. But I think I'm I'm probably paying him off. <laughs> yeah, he you know he really it would really put you in a tough spot. Is my is my point. Yeah. Um, if he if he could if he had if he could re-coordinate this hand and not sort of screw it up the way he did that card might help him win the pot. I mean, I don't, maybe you never fold, but at least in, 
theory, it should help him. Win. Right. But yeah. I know I don't know that it's going to help him now. Uh, it might. Right. Be, the the problem is now Queen Nine. He really has to fire here, and if he wants to to win, he has to say, "I, I hey, I really do have Queen Nine. Right. And he and he has to like really rip it in or something. I, yeah. <laughs> if, because so many hands now that he has are devalued. Like King Nine is now counterfeit essentially. Right. His draws like ten eight and ace ten are devalued, and he I mean he can never be sure that even hitting an ace is going to be good, probably not right uh, so when he checks here, you know i i i think he all he he really only should be checking value to trick you, but that's just so unlikely that yeah. players well, to protect themselves it's it's funny you mentioned him checking value to trick me because one thing that came up. When, when this queen came and I checked to him, he checked right away. And earlier in the session, it was a, a similar situation where the board paired on the turn and it checked to him and he checked right away. And then the river came, the villain bet into him and he raised and he actually had a full house that he turned. So that came into my mind when he checked back right away. Mm. I was like, okay, well, I don't know what that means but i've seen you do this before where you made a boat and checked right away so which that leads me to checking the river here because i'm like all right well let me see what what's going on <laughs> right i mean he's just what what's happened is that the value range that want that the 165 sort of projected became incredibly narrow right and yes he if you want if he's saying to you that i have queen nine he really, he really has a lot of options in the sense that he can bet and put you to the test on the turn, and he should be checking sometimes for this for this exact reason that he just doesn't have that many of these hands. Right. Uh, so he's going to be put he's going to be putting himself in a tough spot on the river, uh, which we now come to unless unless it is the case that he has it, which is combinatorially unlikely. Right. Uh, so the river seven is the seven, which is yet another sort of like it's a complete blank. Jack Tannehill, which is already there, um, he still has. He may check the queen in order to get one more bet in uh, when he thinks you're going to fold against the queen. He may be expecting you to have some full houses here and not wanting to put two bets in. But certainly the seven did, didn't improve uh, ace ten or ten eight. Or, you know, if he somehow, what, what were the other options, like King-10? He just hasn't gotten there. Right. Yeah, total brick, I think. All right. So you explain that you're checking because you feel that, essentially, his flop checks are somewhat protected and that he will check the well, strong hand? Yeah, just the way he checked that the turn, it was just kind of a, I don't know, a live read that I had seen earlier in the session, and it just kind of made me think... That maybe he's a little strong here. Okay, fair, fair enough. And it, and it's not just. I mean, even if you didn't have the read, uh, checking would would certainly be normal anyway. Right. Um, and him him finding some checks, it just it would just be a good strategy for him to not always this this extremely narrow range that he could now represent. It would still be a good idea for him to have some checks with it so that he could play rivers against. Uh, Play rivers against you when he now looks like he's full of shit. Right. Okay. So now the now here's the moment that, that defines the hand. The seven comes. You check, and now he bets 
over bets again, 500 now into 470. Yep. And then into the tank I go. (laughs) 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 All right. So now, now you have your, uh, you've got, you've, you've got your time bank. You're, you're, you're going to give yourself at least 10 minutes to think here for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was probably a good uh, three minutes in game. I would say maybe a little longer. Okay. So Um, what, what is going on in your mind now at this point? So I kept thinking about his turn check because I was like, man, he did this earlier and he had a full house. And I'm just thinking, like, do I pay him off right here? Like, are there any, any like, value hands that I beat? And I'm like, no, you know, I don't, I don't think so anyway, at least not many unless he's just going nuts with King Jack or something for some reason. Um so I'm like, I mean, I just need him to be bluffing here. And I just based on the turn action, I just kept thinking, like, I don't think I can credit him with bluffing anymore, you know, unless, I mean, he sh- certainly should get here with some bluffs, like like you said, with like some 10-8 or ace-10 stuff that decided to check the turn, and now they're just going for it. They feel like they can't win. And so I was trying to figure out, like, okay, is there, are there any hands here that he would do this? Does this guy have the... Uh, the motive and willingness and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, this guy does, you know? And, uh, but what really got me to call right here was actually like a re like kind of a live read that I had from a hand earlier when I had folded Kings to him on, I think it was Jack seven, three. And he went all in on the flop. And when he did, he sat back and he's drinking coffee and stuff and looking really comfortable and he turned out to have a set on that hand, and, and I had folded. But on this hand, he wasn't sitting back and drinking coffee anymore. You know, he looked, he, I gave him, you know, the glance for a few seconds. He, he just didn't look right. You know, he didn't look so calm and cool anymore. So that kind of started to play into it. Like, okay, I don't know if maybe he's, you know, reverse telling me or, or something like that. But I was like, all right, well, he's got the the willingness to bluff. You know, he's certainly someone that can pull it off. And, you know, based on this kind of live read that I think I have here, you know, in combination with the other, the read from the turn that maybe he had a strong hand, I just decided, you know what, I think I need to pay you off. And if if you've got it, then I guess I might be going home. I don't know, but... (laughs) <laughs> so I, I put the chips out there and he says, good call. <laughs> oh, wow. And so uh, I waited a second some... just to yeah. see if he would show and he just kind of was shaking his head. So I don't make people show in that situation. So I just showed my hand and then he was like, wow, call with ace king. Huh? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> you don't have the, you don't necessarily have the best reputation here in this game so far. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell him that? No, but I, I just smiled and said, yeah, it was a good bet or something stupid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, what I guess what I'm saying is it is a good bet in a sense. Uh, he does need, if he's going to be checking queen nine on the turn, um, he really needs to go for a lot of value here, and he can. Because your hand, you're playing your hand a lot like aces should play or ace-king yeah. should play. And I, I would really recommend to him if I could, to not bet just 500 here. Yeah, um, you could have bet more. <laughs> but to, to, to recognize that when you are 
you know, creating these incredibly narrow ranges that are nutted. Uh, you need you need to consider the idea of being very overpolarized. And you know, I like the number one twenty five. I always have, mm. but you know, as you've seen in some of our games, I go even bigger, up to two times the pot. Right. And and this, and and this is what you need to do in a in a in a no limit game where if you're representing a very narrow range. And you have some sort of relevant blocker, and you, your opponent is capped at aces or kings, which he likely is, given that he checked back, and you would probably lead a lot with nutted hands that trapped the turn. Right. Um, he should really be punishing if he really wants to. If he really wants to shake his head and say, "Wow, you called with ace king." Yeah. Well, no shit, no shit, you called with ace king. And the reason is, you know, you've got a call with, you know, somewhere, you know, around like. 35% of your range here. And like ace king and aces are, are probably some of the best hands that ever take this line from you. Right. And so those are those are just calls. So you know if he's going to like try to create some sort of indifference here on the end, it actually has to be very narrow and he just wants to like almost stack you when oh, yeah. he does have when he does have queen 9 and that's going to so discourage you from from calling him down or, or, or playing with him exactly when you do uh, pay him off and he just gets the maximum value when he, when he takes this very tricky line. Yeah. I was, I was actually surprised he didn't go all in cause he had been making huge bets all night. I mean, four X pot, whatever, just, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So when he, when I, I only have what, 800 behind here and he bets 500, it's, it's kind of like, why wouldn't you just bet the other three or so, you know? Right. Uh, I, I really would, would think that he should do that. And, you know, it, I think what happens psychologically is that these competent but sort of uneven players that we see everywhere, these the, the barnacles of the game who kind of hit a level and don't go anywhere, Right. He's he's sort of in his mind. He's kind of uncomfortable with the situation because he recognizes that you called <laughs> on the <laughs> flop, and he doesn't know when he doesn't hold a queen. All the queens are are available to you, right. and even though he should recognize that you're probably going to lead them, he they they psychologically hurt him a little bit. Right. Whereas what he should really be thinking is, well, if I checked back with queen nine because I decided to just take this particular deviation and get and get the value on the river. It obviously becomes the case where, well, how do I recover the EV that I lost on the turn? Well, it's, it's it has to go naturally. It has to flow into this overbet range where just a lot of money can go in. And when you have aces or ace-king, you, you're just, that's it for you. That's the best hand you have. You're probably going to call. Right. Yep, he put, the, he put me to the test a little bit here, but... Unfortunately for him, uh, it was time for someone else to win a hand at this table, aside from him. <laughs> All right. Well, another another broke DJF fan. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole community of them, and, and they're fun people. <laughs> well, nice hand there. Good job, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Let's see. What do we want to close the podcast with? What What have I missed? I don't know. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, I bought a house, so I live... I've got to commute to the casino now. I used to be able to pretty much walk to the casino, but now I've got a 20-minute drive 
in front of me, which I like. It gets me uh, mentally prepared. I think maybe a little better by having the drive to and from. Huh. So I, like I don't, that, you know, but... I don't know a lot of people who live right next to casinos. How did that work out for you? I didn't live right next to them, but they were a few blocks away living because all of the casinos in Detroit are all basically right downtown, and I lived right in the center of the city. So, you know, they weren't far from me. A few blocks away, I could walk there, take an e-scooter, which was nice because you could just always, it's easy to go play when they're right there, right? When you can walk. But now when you've got this 20-minute drive in front of you, it's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know some people would probably kill to have a 20-minute drive. I know, know, like Fausto, I think once he's riding the bus for like two hours or something to or he was, I don't probably not still, but well, some people have some serious commutes in front of them to get there. And luckily I don't, 20 minutes is enough. I mean, I couldn't imagine driving an hour, but. Well, you know, that's just tough for all the people who live in the, the greatest, exactly. most fun city in the world. They can suffer on the way to the casino right? for their privileges. You know, there are people out there in America that live in, you know, the less dense areas and they have to drive like two, three hours just to yeah. go play some one-two. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how much they love the game, and that's how difficult it can be. Yeah, I that's, guess you know. <laughs> crazy to me. I, I, I don't think I'd be able to play once I got there. I'd be too tired from the drive. Uh, I don't know how they do it. You know, and I'm talking about like 50-year-old men who are like slurping up Starbucks coffees and God <laughs> knows what just to go play one-two. So, so yeah. yeah, you have it good. You know, you have not only do you, are there great games in Detroit. I mean, it's yes. just like off the rails good. I mean, in competition <laughs> with some of the best places in America. I don't know, maybe maybe even the best. We'll have to evaluate it that. Could be. It's up there for sure. But but there are people who just you just don't have it. And I, I guess what I'd say to them, if you're one of one of those people, you've really got to put the effort because it's so rewarding to run a home game. It's it's such a it's such a fun thing because just driving for three hours to go play one two just sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah, it's like you're in the hole, you know, you got gas money, you probably had to stop and get lunch. It's like you're out fifty bucks before you even sat down. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, probably don't probably the EV of having to drive three hours to play poker just can't be good. Yeah, of course the home game would be tough too. Except when I was in uh, high school and first couple years of college we had a home game in my my dad's house in the basement and it's just kind of a I mean it's fun when you go to someone else's house to do the home game but when you're the host it's kind of awful because you know afterwards no one wants to help clean up and they left with this big mess and I don't know it's kind of a fiasco <laughs> well I'll, I'll tell you how, how it's done um, first of all you get nice things for the game so that it feels good you get a nice table you get yeah. nice chips, and you turn it into kind of a ritual, and, and people like that. Okay. And, and, and then I had this rule. It, it wasn't that you – I mean, first of all, you couldn't put things on the floor. But I had this rule that you just couldn't spill. And they would ask me, okay. like, what? what do you mean? Like, you know, you can't spill things. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's, just, it's a good rule to have, and people pay attention to it if you make a rule. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Oh, don't worry about that. No, fuck that. You cannot spill, and and uh, that's on them. And then when they do, they're like, "Oh, let me get that." <laughs> they broke the rules, man. All right. Well, I want to thank Jason for coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk to him. But I want to mention uh, one thing more. 
Jason plays in the PP poker games. And I have my own club. And it's not the kind of club where just anyone can get in. Uh, but I have to know who you are. So if you're one of the listeners, contact me. Uh, kind of give me some, you know, check me to where you're in forums or, or show me something about yourself because it is an integral and, and safe game. We know each other. It's an opportunity to play really deep. We play small, but as deep as possible. And it's the best place to learn, uh, the best way to, to, to actually learn the game and not get stuck in the 100 BB trap, which is, you know, just a nightmare. So contact me about that if you're interested, and I will hook you up. Uh, and with that, I will say goodbye. Once again, thank you for tuning into the Poker Zoo. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator so that you receive the new episodes every time they come out. And while you're there, leave us a review or rating if you like the show. If you have a question for Persuadio or a comment you would like aired on the podcast, you may call the Zoo Hotline at 410-775-6224. It's 410-775-6224. It is just sitting there seven days a week, 24 hours a day, waiting for your call. And with that, we'll see you next time. 